With that said, uh, I want to reread the verse that was read into our hearing. If you have your copy of God's Word and you are open to Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 and 18, say amen. Amen. That's Exodus chapter 13. I'm reading this from the King James Version. The Word of God reads, And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. I'd like to take from those verses our subject, and I'm going to give two subjects for the sophisticated people <laughs> and for the down-home people. For the sophisticated people, the topic is you are not ready yet. For the down-home people, is you ain't ready yet. <laughs> you ain't ready yet. Church, this morning's text speaks to the reality of Israel's long-awaited departure from Egypt. And it also speaks of a reality in our lives that something can start off good and end poorly. Because if you know the history of the presence of the children of Israel in Egypt, it started when Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream and his brethren were welcomed into the land of Egypt. But in Exodus chapter 1, the Bible says, there arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And when the Pharaoh who knew not Joseph arrived, then Joseph's family and his descendants, who were once welcomed, who had once saved the land, Joseph who had been second in command of Egypt, now his descendants were no longer welcome. And at that time, the descendants prayed to God for deliverance. If you look at, at Genesis chapter 50, Joseph even told them that one day God is going to bring you all out of this land. And you see that when the children of Israel left Egypt, they carried Joseph's bones with them because Joseph saw afar off through faith that he would not be staying, that they would not be staying. And church, I want to mention this morning that I love a study of the Old Testament in, gen in general but especially the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, it says, whatsoever things were written aforetime, those things were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Also, we know from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, that the law was called a shadow of good things to come. Now, just the way my brain works, I want to know why something, and as a, as a school teacher, students always want to know why is this important. If you're teaching a class now, uh, the graduating class, half of them want to know why they had to take classes. Mine wasn't one of them because English everyone needed. But they want to know why they need something. And so I want to say why we need this lesson this morning. Every Old Testament scripture basically has a New Testament counterpart. And when you talk about type, and shadow, when it says the Old Testament was a shadow of the good things, Egypt 
in the Old Testament is in essence the world. The Red Sea is baptism. The wilderness, the Bible calls it the church in the wilderness in Acts chapter 7, verse 38. So when we're in the church, that's like them being in the wilderness. When they crossed the Jordan River, that's our death. They were going into Canaan, and we're going to heaven. So if you watch what Israel does, that's your kinfolks before you. When you see a mistake that someone in Israel makes, as members of the church in the wilderness, you'll see mistakes we make in the church at Bedford Street, at the church at Lewis Street, at the church at Johnson Street. And so what you'll find is since there's nothing new under the sun, there's been somebody in the Lord's church just like you before you. You're not the first one to act like you. You're not the first one to think like you. And so when you look at the issue that they had, church, what you'll see is issues that we have. And so what I want us to consider is that what 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 through 5 say, they say, moreover, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And they were all baptized. Yeah, anything I say, there should be book, chapter, and verse if it's not my opinion. It says, all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all did eat the same spiritual meat and all did drink the same spiritual drink. And they all drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. So when you start seeing things like the, the brazen serpent being lifted up, you see Christ said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. You see parallels. So all they did, it wasn't the same thing. It was a shadow. A shadow is not the exact same, but it was showing you what was going to come. Well, Brother Three, what does that have to do with us? They asked for something that they weren't ready for. They asked and prayed for years to be delivered. But when it was time to be delivered, God could have taken them the fastest route. But God took them the scenic route because they weren't ready yet. And sometimes we pray and God hears us and he doesn't answer immediately because God's answers are sometimes yes, immediately. Sometimes God's answers are no, immediately. And sometimes God's answer is not now. It's not that he doesn't hear you. It's the same way that we parent our children. Mama, mama, mama. Mama's hearing you. Mama's just not answering you. Daddy, daddy, can I borrow the car? Daddy, you hear me? Boy, I hear you. Sometimes God's answer isn't no, it's not now. The children of Israel are allowed to leave Egypt. But instead of taking them the fastest route by the way of the Philistines, God chose to take them the scenic route through the wilderness. And church, I need us to consider this. True growth requires transformation. When you talk about true growth in the scenic route and the fact that it requires transformation, you've got to understand that God's not using our GPS system. He's using his GPS. God's not asking us the way we want to go. God sometimes knows what we need. Well, he always knows what we need. 
Sometimes he gives us what we don't need, even though he'll tell you you don't need it, the same way he did with Israel wanting a king. But sometimes he'll just delay that thing. And church, he said, lest the people see war and they repent. Church, what it teaches us is some people don't mind wanting something new. They just aren't ready to fight for it. Sometimes we have mastered complaining, but we have not learned to remove our own spiritual stones. One of the favorite stories that I've ever heard preached is from, from John chapter 11, the, the raising of Lazarus from his, from his grave, because it teaches a lesson that as Christians, we don't need to forget. Jesus raised Lazarus, but in verse 39, he made them remove the stone. Have you ever looked at that, that when Jesus came, first of all, he delayed showing up to let Lazarus die? He told them Lazarus was sleeping. They said it's good that he sleeps. If he sleeps, he does well. He said Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sake because today you will see the power of God. But when they took Jesus to where Lazarus was laid, in verse 39, he says, remove the stone. Well, Brother Three, what does that have to do with us? God does the possible. I mean, excuse me, God does the impossible, and he expects us to do the possible. Only Jesus could raise Lazarus. There was a, 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 a lot, if you will, full of folks that could remove a stone. Often our problem is we want God to do what we should be doing. See, often we want God to do, God's going to lead them to the promised land. Why in the world can't they fight? It's like sometimes we want food. And we want the Lord to put it in our mouth. He want, we, want, we want him to, to kill it, to clean it, to bring it to the home, to cook it for us, to put it in our mouth, and to chew it. God does the impossible. Church, we do the possible. And so they say we want to be free. God, I'm going to free you. I'm going to take of the Egyptians, and they're going to give you the spoils to take with you. When verse 18 says they left harness, I'm even dressed you like you in a military and put you in rank and file. But you're afraid to fight? Church, the reality or the spiritual truth that we need to understand is that Israel, while they knew they didn't want to be in Egypt any longer, they weren't strong enough to fight. And sometimes we're focused enough to know what we want. And we're even spiritual enough to pray for what we want, but we're too weak spiritually to fight for what we believe we want. And success is going to require a transformation. Romans chapter 12, a verse that most people know, verse 1 and 2, the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But then verse 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. That tr word transform in the Greek comes from the word that we get metamorphosis. A metamorphosis means I can't be the same old me. Metamorphosis means you can't be the same old you. You can't continue to think the way you've always thought. I can't continue to think the way I always thought, and then I expect to be a new me with the same old habits. 
You've been enslaved for hundreds of years, and now you carry your slave mentality into a new land. It's like someone who's been in prison that institutionalized just because you open the prison cell doesn't mean that the prison cell, their mind has been changed. And often people leave the world and come into the church and you say, well, they've been free. And if I don't undergo a metamorphosis, if you don't undergo a metamorphosis, a transformation, it's the same old you in a new place. And so God couldn't get them there, though it was faster. By the way, the Philistines. Because all they were going to do is say, we're going to go back. Think how many times the children of Israel, they hungry. Oh, we had flesh pots to the field in Egypt. Now, you say you want to leave. Now, the first time you, your belly gets to growling a little bit, you better go back. That happens in the church. I want to leave the world and somebody sitting in your seat on Sunday morning. And you ready to move your membership. Somebody was looking past you at somebody else, and you thought they were staring at you. It's the worldly mindset brought into the kingdom. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I have a question for you this morning. Do you expect God to take the old you to a new place when your old thinking was part of your problem? See, if my old thinking were part of my problem, what, may, what makes me think God should take me to a new place? with the old thinking and like things are going to be changed because wherever I go, if I don't change, I'm carrying me with me. If your thinking is wrong and you move to a new congregation, all you're doing is taking you with you and creating peace where you left. Because the problem may not have been the congregation. It might have been my mindset. So God can't take me the fastest route. Because a change has to take place. Because I ain't ready yet. You say, why won't God answer my prayer? He's answering it. But he put you in the slow cooker. <laughs> instead of in the microwave. Because some things need to simmer and marinate a little longer. And that's what God does. I, I, I came across a, 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 a thing called morning prayer. Says, Dear Lord, so far I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, haven't lost my temper, haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or self indulgent. And I'm really glad about that, Lord. But in a few minutes, God, I'm about to get up out this bed. And from then on, I'm going to lead a lot more help. That's how some of us live. Some of us are perfect Christians in Bible study. The test tube environment. Brother asks a question, you, you hit those buttons on your, and it gives you the answer. But you're not dealing with that person on your job yet. You're not dealing with your neighbor yet. Sister, your husband ain't got on your nerve yet. Brother, your wife hadn't given you that look yet. Your kids hadn't done that thing they're going to do yet. 
And so in the test tube environment of Bible study, sometimes we're so good. It's easy to pray in bondage, Lord, set me free. But when God sets us free, we learn that sometimes the other people haven't been our problems, that we've been our problems. And church, it leads to this. The English teacher in me appreciates biblical nouns and verbs. Faith is a noun. Works are verbs. Faith without work is dead being alone. Show me your faith without your work. James said, I will show you my faith by my works. See, 1 Corinthians 13, charity, the highest form of love, agape, is a noun. But if you look at those verses that follow it, talking about charity, everything that charity does is a verb. We're good sometimes in the church at nouns. But we hadn't always mastered verbs. Prayer, just the word, is a noun. But sometimes after the praying, it's like I shouldn't pray, Lord, uh, please look after those widows. Lord, please take care of the fatherless. When James says pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this. I'm supposed to check on the widows and the fathers and their afflictions. To, 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 to check on or to visit carries more the idea of, I'm going to go by, I got five minutes for them. To visit is an ongoing process. Why would I simply pray for something that, that requires some additional action? In church, if we're not careful, we're good at the prayer part. But then when it's time for some elbow grease, and it's time for some action. We don't always follow the prayer with that. Israel was good at praying. But now it's time to fight and God's got to take them the scenic route. Is that our issue? We can pray up a storm. But we're not always ready. Well, how does that fit, Brother Threat? Just because we really say we want something doesn't mean we're truly ready for it. Some folks say they want to be married. And they have people. It was mentioned that I, I teach, I've taught marriage classes. Marriage ain't 50 50, marriage is 100 100. If marriage were 50 50, who I'm getting my other 52? If marriage is 50 50 and Sister 3 to give me 50, what's she doing that other 50%? Now, part of that 100 100 is Sister 3 did hair with them growing up. Why is Sister Three teaching them to write papers when I'm teaching English? Sister Three sometimes went to work, and I could take the girls to school because our schedule said that. So there were parts that her hundred took up and parts my hundred took up, but marriage is a hundred, a hundred. And the thing is, I don't need to marry someone when I'm a half a person. Look at the biblical examples for marriage given in Genesis. God first gave Adam a home and a job before he ever gave him a wife. And there were no kids first. He gave him a home, the garden. He gave him a job to dress the garden. And then he gave him a wife. That's God's order. So sometimes I say I want something. I don't want a wife if I, I ain't want to take care of a family. I'll tell you one thing that ain't going to happen. There's a bump in the night, and Sister Three wakes up and says, Brother Three, uh, 
I hear something downstairs. I do too. You need to go check on that. <laughs> At what point are you going to be the house band and hold this thing together? The woman in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says, I will make him my, the man a help me. That word help is easier. She that does for him what he cannot do for himself. But how can she do that for him if she can't do that for her? I'm saying he that findeth a wife find a good thing. She already got some skills when he meets her. She got some skills when he meets her. So I'm praying for a man. Are you, have you already been working on you? I'm praying for a wife. Have I already been working on me? See, sometimes we say we want to be married, but we ain't ready. Not yet. Sometimes we say we want a better job. We lazy on the one we have. Sometimes we say we want to be in church leadership and we have mastered fellowship. God uses people who are already ready. Paul may have had some issues, but zeal was not one of them. All, all God had to do with Paul is redirect that energy. But this idea, I'm going to start working when I'm in leadership, no, there's some qualifications already in 1 Timothy 3 that are already in place when you go into certain roles. And so, church, when I talk about being ready, yet truth growth is going to require transformation. If I have not been transformed, I'm not necessarily ready to go to my new place. If you're not in a transformation process, the reason God may not have given you what you want is you're not ready yet because the transformation necessary to go into where you say you want to be. You ain't working on that. You praying, but what stones have you removed that need to be removed in your life? Which requires basic training. The, it's said in verse 18, if you look at it, but God led the people not, the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children went up, the King James says, harnessed. I think that the, the English Standard Version was up there talked about they, they, they went up in sections or in groups. See, so they went up in a military center, which means they were already, they already looked like an army. They just didn't act like an army. Sometimes we look like the church. Y'all look good out there. Sometimes we look like the church. Got a Bible in our hand. Got our Sunday meeting, go to, go to meeting clothes on. Got some verses that we have memorized that we can quote. Sometimes we look real religious till somebody get on our nerves. And then all of a sudden, the Bible said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So now somebody gets on my nerve and the real me comes out. People say, I spoke before I thought. That's impossible. You just wish you hadn't shared what you shared. But you thought it first, which is why the Bible talks about guarding your heart, for out of it flows the issues of life. See, if I want to change what I say, I got to change what I think. I got to put the right furniture in there. I got to put the worst, right scriptures in my life. And I can't put them in if I don't study them. And the easiest way to remember them is to live them. And so church, God gave them basic training. He took them the way of the wilderness. And when he took them the way of the wilderness, it was a longer, less populated route. 
He removed the physical enemy, if you think about it. The first thing he does before he takes them into the wilderness is he gets rid of the Egyptian army. Because how many times are you afraid to go forward because you're looking backwards? It was Lot's wife's problem. And often it's our problem. We can't do what we're supposed to do today because we're always looking back at, at yesterday. So God removes that army. And even with the army dead all throughout their journey, they're talking about going back to a place they say they didn't want to be. As I mentioned, he equipped them for battle when he put them in the battle array. But they, but, so what it means, church, is they had everything they needed. And that's not just true of them. Keep in mind, Israel's us. Which means if he gave, if he put them in their military clothing, he does the same thing for us. That's the Ephesians 6. The, whole, the armor of God, loins girt with the truth, breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, uh, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit. I wonder if Brother Davis does what I did years ago at a congregation. I gave the congregation a biblical quiz. And it started off with easy questions. How many people were saved on the ark? Who were the first four people on earth? Then I started getting the questions like, what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Uh, since there's no one verse that gives a plan of salvation, uh, what does a person have to do to be saved and give me scriptures for that? And it's amazing how some of those, and I made sure it was anonymous. All they had to put on there was the age demographic. It's amazing how there were blanks. Well, Brother Three, what does that have to do with us? Your shield of faith. Romans 10, 17, faith come by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. The more of God's word I know, the bigger my shield. The less of God's word I know the smaller my shield. Now the purpose of the shield is to quench the fiery darts of the enemy, right? So if I know two verses, I'm getting hit by every enemy Satan throws at me because my shield is this big. So you wonder why two people had the exact same thing happen to them in life. And one person still at church. And the other person, you got them on the side of a poster. We, we, we got a search committee looking for them. It's that the shield of faith is not the same just because y'all worship in the same location. It's not the same because y'all sleep in the same bed at night. It's not the same because y'all were born into the same family. Have you studied to show yourself approved? Have you added to your faith knowledge and knowledge temperance and, and done all those things that Peter talks about? Church, what I need us to keep in mind is what... Ephesians 6 says in verse 12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness uh, in high place. And you need to understand this. God knows you, but Satan knows you too. Amen. Satan is the greatest stalker that ever lived. Now think about when God is talking to Satan in Job 1. Since the day when the sons of God came together and the devil came also, which means Satan's up in this camp. He said, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him. He's an upright man that fears God and he hates evil. Satan didn't say, who is Job? 
He did not say, where Job live? He says, he don't serve you for nothing. You put a hedge around, how you know he got a hedge around him? But if you remove that hedge, he'll, he'll curse you to your face. Satan is watching you. He knows where you go. He knows what you like. He knows what your weaknesses are. He's got a plan tailor-made for me. And he's got a t plan tailor-made for you. And the problem is, we want to treat Satan like he's got a cookie-cutter approach for, for all of us. He doesn't have a plan just for Bedford Street. He's got a plan for you. He doesn't, got a, he doesn't have a plan just for the people in this section of the congregation and a plan for this section of the congregation and a plan for this section. No, but he got a plan for you. He got a plan that's tailor-made. Oh, what, what's, uh, uh, he's like a size medium. <laughs> See, he's got one tailored to your shoe size, to your appetite. That's who you're wrestling with. So Satan is like, send them to where the Philistines. God said, no, I'm going to take them the scenic route. They ain't ready for that fight yet. Now understand, not ready yet don't mean ain't ever going to be ready. It means some basic training. Church has to take place. And so what he does is he equips them for battle because they have grasshopper complex. Numbers chapter 13. We're going to look at this land. It's a land of milk and honey. It takes two of us to carry the grapes. But they're giants, and we nobody. Now, never mind we got you with us. Never mind there's a cloud by day, and there's a fire by night. If you don't think you're anything, who's going to convince you otherwise? So God has to get rid of that mindset. It's not enough for them to be lined up like an army if they don't think like God's army. It's not enough for us to be lined up like God's army if we don't think like God's army. The other thing he had to do, and I don't mean any harm with this one, he had to remove some excess weight. And I'm not meaning the exercise role. He had to get rid of some mamas and some daddies, some uncles and some aunts, some grandmamas and some granddaddies because that Imprisoned mentality that the fathers and the mothers had said, you brought us out here to be prey. He said, I'm going to let all y'all die out there and your kids, the one you said I brought out there to be prey, I'm going to let them go in, y'all not. What God has to sometimes do before he gives you your blessing is to get rid of your excess weight. See, sometimes that's your friends. You got to change your friends. Sometimes that's family members you got to learn to love from a distance. When, when Jesus' mother and his, and his brothers and sisters came to see him, said, your, your mother's outside. Jesus, Jesus didn't say, well, let me stop this right here and go out there and talk to my family. He said, who's my mother? Who are my brothers and my sisters? Church, what he understood is what real family was. Have we learned what real family is? The Bible says, as you have opportunity, do good unto all men, but especially those of the household of faith. But you got folks in the church still talking about blood is thicker than water. Now you got folks in the kingdom that will tell you blood is thicker than water, but the Bible says, as we have opportunity, 
do good unto all men. Especially means if I only have enough for one, I work inside out. If I don't think that way, and if you don't think that way, it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you ain't ready yet. Maybe why God hadn't given you what you're asking for because you, your, your thought processes aren't what God would have them to be. Churchy, he says it in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. The Bible says, and keep in mind, this is 40 years later. As everybody about to go in, Deuteronomy, people say it's second law. The Pentateuch, if you look at it, Deuteronomy, he's speaking to that second generation because some things have to be repeated. He says, all the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do that ye may live and multiply and go in to possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, that thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years. Then he goes into why he did it. Number one, to humble thee. Some of us too big for our own riches. I led you to humble you. I had to prove thee to know what was in thine heart. Because just because you say it don't mean you mean it. Whether thou would keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee, verse 3, and suffered thee to hunger. There's a difference between starving and hungry. Sometimes we need to be a little hungry. I let you be hungry, and I fed thee with manna which you knew not. Neither thy fathers know that thou might make thee to know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God doth man live. Now, I want you to appreciate this. Verse 4 said, thy raiment or your clothes did not wax old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell. Some of us can't walk five feet without some Epsom salt. 40 years, there was no urgent care center. 40 years, there were no trips to the hospital. Wasn't nobody talking about, I can't move tonight because my back aching. When the cloud moved, everybody moved. When the fire moved, everybody moved. Because God removed the excuse of talking about, my feet hurt, they swelling. There was no picking up uh, weapons for war. Everything they needed to go into the promised land, they took with them out of Egypt. When you are baptized into the kingdom with your word of God, you've got what you need, and you've you got to develop it. When you get that Bible as a, as a new babe in Christ, you've got all you need to make heaven your home. You've, you've been taught that Jesus is the Christ, that he died and was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's new tomb, that on the third day he was raised, and that our burial, Romans 6, 4, uh, puts us into the body of Christ, Galatians 3, 27. Those are the things I need to be enrolled, if you will, as a student. But that doesn't get me into heaven. When they numbered the, the children of Israel, 603,550 men over the age of 20 left Canaan with Moses. Two made it into the promised land. I need you to let that sink in. 
603,550 men over the age of 20, which was the age to be in the army, left Egypt with Moses. Joshua and Caleb were the only two men of that age that made it in. But the church is so quick to tell everybody else they're going to hell. There's some folks in the church going to hell. Because keep in mind, Egypt, the world. Red Sea, uh, uh, a baptism. Wilderness, church. They left Egypt, but they didn't make it into Canaan. We can leave the world, but we don't work on our salvation in this place. It's for our learning that there's some training that needs to take place. As I close, what have you been praying for? Are you ready to let go of whatever has you in bondage and let God? Is it a place? You can't stop going someplace you need to leave. Is it a mindset? See, some folks got a mindset, well, you know how I am. Where, where is that in the Bible? <laughs> now, I'm saying this because I don't live up in a New England area, but you got kin folks all over this nation think like you. Well, you know, this is just how I am. People need to understand this. Well, I thought you were supposed to be transformed. So why am I saying that God should get used to me? I love that, that song, uh, All of Self and None of Thee. Some of self and some of thee. Then at the end of the song, it says none of self and all of thee. See, the transformation is when I start off, it's all about me. Then when I grow, it becomes, well, it's half me and half of thee. But God doesn't want half of you. God doesn't want half of me. Why is it that God would give, look at any of the, look at the parable of the talents. The man that didn't use what, he, what God had given him, he took that and gave it to the man that had five. And throughout scripture, what God does is he prunes. And those that bring fruit, he gives more. He cursed the fig tree because it bore no fruit. How much fruit are you bearing? How much fruit am I bearing? Paul did not say, I'm ready to be offered up until 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I'm now ready to be offered in a time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. See, you got to fight. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. That's that tailor made. Your course is not his course. He said, I finished my course. He says, and I have kept, he didn't say a faith. He said, I kept the faith. Now, what the way Satan may come after me may be individualized, but I don't get to preach a different gospel in Arkansas than is preached in Boston, or this preach, preached in Rhode Island, or this preached in New York. No more than you get to serve some other than a Big Mac at McDonald's. <laughs> what makes McDonald's McDonald's is the Big Mac. You don't go to Big Mac and then they pull out a Whopper. <laughs> you don't come into the Lord's church and have it your way. We come into the Lord's church and have book, chapter, and verse. Which is why Matthew 18, 8 and 9, if thy hand or foot offend, cut it off. 
It is better to enter into life haunt and maim rather than to have two hands and two feet and be cast into hell. There's a show called 1883. I'm going to close with this. And it was a 10-episode series, and every week uh, my wife and I were watching it. And about the seventh episode, one of the travelers was bitten by a snake trying to help his wife. And so they're trying to do all they can to save this man's leg. And he's doing all he can for them not to know it's infected. So on the, about the ninth episode, they're like, uh, man, your leg is infected. He's like, oh, no, I'm going to get rid of my leg. They said, uh, you can die with your leg or you can live without it. You can die with this leg or you can live without it. And on the last episode, you saw him on his crutches living without that leg. Or he could have been in that casket. And said, I got two legs. I've got to get rid of some mindset. And you've got to get rid of some mindsets. I've got to get rid of some habits. And you've got to get rid of some habits. Now, you can be hard-headed. And you can say, I've always done it this way. I've always talked to people this way. And you can talk to folks that way right up into your casket. And you can go to hell doing it your way. Or you can go to heaven and prune some stuff off. I ain't ever going to forgive. You can go to hell not forgiving folks. Or you can go to heaven with a forgiven heart. I'll close with this. Here's a choice. You, you can live with, you can die without what I'm going to say. Or you can live with it. You can hear that Jesus died for you. Romans 10, 17. You can believe it. Hebrews 11:6. 6. For without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to him must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You can seek God and go to heaven. Or you can say, well, God got to come find me. You can repent, which does not mean stop. It means change. If I change the way I think, you ain't got to worry about my actions. Luke 13, 3, I tell you, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You can confess while you are living the sweetest name on mortal tongue. Matthew 10, 32 and 33, if you confess me before men, I'll confess before my Father, which is in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you. You can say, I ain't confessing Jesus ever. And you go to hell with that. Or you can confess the sweetest name on mortal tongues and make heaven your home. And then we're baptized. And that's the bitter pill. The brother was teaching this day, and he was saying, so many people are so close. I'd rather be almost lost than almost saved. Those people are almost right. Are they? Uh, Bodie Bolton, you said, man, I, I, I was telling my wife some of the stuff he was teaching, like, he's spot on on that. And then baptism is not essential. Get you a, 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 a first edition Baptist manual. And it says in there, in the apostolic age, when there was but one church, and baptism was a gate therein, but now it is not so. Get, get you one. I put it up at, at, at Johnson Street and just had it on the screen and showed them the page. You can get a PDF of it on your phone now. In the apostolic age when there was but one church. Acknowledging there was one church. And it still is. It said, and baptism was the gate therein. When did it change? 
1 Peter 3, 20 and 21 says, In the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, when few, that is eight souls, were saved by water, the like figure, baptism does also now. Now is an adverb of time. When does baptism save? It saves now. It's present tense. But people will say you ain't got to be baptized. If you're with us and you're not a member of the body, baptism is essential. It is a bitter pill to swallow. That's why we got the watery grave. It takes some water with that pill. But we got to be baptized to be saved. If you're with us and you're not a Christian, we invite you into the kingdom through baptism and acknowledgement that Jesus is the Christ. If you are already a member of the kingdom, but you're struggling with, I'm praying for things, but I'm not willing to change. Mm-hmm. Repentance, confession, and prayer gives access to that same blood. But church, whatever your decision is, we ask you to make it as together we stand and sing.